0: I have come to lead you to the other shore, into eternal darkness, into fire, and into ice. Welcome to St. Paxton, a narrative real play podcast created by friends to explore humanity and endure horror. A world where you can try anything.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to St. Paxton. I am your Game Master, Veronica. I'm Stacy, and I play Bellamy.
0: I'm Michael, and I don't know if I'm still playing Todd B. I'm Steph,
2: and I'm playing Clara.
3: And my name is Fred, and I play Edward.
1: Todd, you push your arm through the scroll, and you feel uneasy you feel threatened and you all watch as Todd pushes his arm through the scroll and pulls it back but instead of an arm you see this cone of darkness and you all feel as though you're being hunted you all feel like prey. Todd, you wave your arm around because it's closest, obviously, to you. But as you wave it around, you spread this feeling of terror and nightmare to everything and everyone in the room. And you all hear the creakiness of the house. It's almost as though there is some kind of belly under the house that's now grumbling and heaving, and you hear all of the beams creak as the house begins to collapse
0: on you. I would like to try to run outside.
1: You said there's like a darkness around his arm? Yeah, if you can imagine what it would be like if someone had a cone of white burning light on the end of their arm. It's like the opposite of that. It's a dark, sucking horror. And does it follow him as he runs out? There's no following. It is a part of him. As he runs out you get to the foyer, what do you do? The house is crumbling around you.
0: I will dart for the front door.
1: As you dart for the front door, you see this huge I-beam as it plummets in front of you. You don't have to open the door because the door no longer exists. It has been shattered into a million pieces and outside it is pure white snow only lit by lamps. Do you run out to it?
0: Yes. I will throw myself onto the snow.
1: As you throw yourself onto the snow, the snow starts somehow gathering and compacting around you as the snow makes a tomb of sorts around you. And then you feel this stabbing from below this feeling like something is trying to get you. You can feel your clothes, the robes that you're in, as they're being shredded apart. The rest of you feel a sense of calm as Todd leaves the building.
3: Is the house still collapsing around us?
1: No, it doesn't seem like it ever really was.
2: We... We have to go after him, right? We can't just... stay here?
3: Absolutely. What's that on his arm? We need to help him. And I grab Clara and Bellamy each by the hand, and I start running out towards the front room.
1: You run out the front room, and as you run out of the door, you feel Clara's hand very firmly in yours. But for some reason, Bellamy just sort of escapes your grasp. But she's still running right beside you. But the closer you get to Todd, you feel that terror again. That horrific sensation of someone coming at you and you look up and you see that the moon is getting closer to you as though it is prepared to press into your very body and crush you out of existence. No longer your luminous friend but your silent glowing killer. And you fall, each of you, onto your backside and you start doing this like crab walk, rush away from the moon Todd, where are you? What's going on? Todd, you start to open your mouth. You can hear your friends, but you can't make anything come out. It's the worst feeling, like being in a nightmare where you need to scream, but nothing can come out. I want to try to turn invisible
2: and see if that affects the feeling. Like maybe if it can't see me, it can't affect me. So, I'll kind of close my eyes and put my hand on the symbol on my cheek, like I did last time, and concentrate and see if I can turn invisible.
1: Edward, you watch as Clara puts her hand on her cheek and just sort of releases herself from the reality that you're in currently. And you've, like, you know, when you see someone just visibly relax. That's kind of what you see, and then she disappears. Clara. In the invisibility, you typically have a blind eye to what is actually around you. But because you're so close to this dreadful, horrific cone, you see everything that you're not supposed to see around you. And then they see that you see. And they don't like that. You watch as these sticks coming from the ground that you thought were light posts, but seem to be something else that are glowing this purple hue. And he watches these creatures, these shapeless, colorless, horrific creatures shamble toward you. And you know that this is the very edge of life and death. This is where it begins and ends. And as you take a step back to run... You bump into something and you don't want to turn around to see what it is because whatever it is almost covers your shoulders like a large things hands but their fingers are never-ending and you feel this prickly warm and drowning sensation as your lungs begin to fill with whatever it is that they are and you aren't. And your eyes begin to feel pressure from inside. And you move your hands to your nose and your mouth and you feel something foul coming out of you. And you watch as one of your eyes shoots from your body, and the pain is so searing and terrible that you you fade. Something happens, and you, you can't be in all places at one time. And Edward Bellamy, you watch as she blinks in front of you, and you see Clara with blood streaming down the right side of her face. And this gray purple substance leaking from her mouth and then she blinks out again.
2: I want to get up and run back into the house and bang on Jonathan's door. Like, just nonstop. I'm screaming his name and banging on his door and desperately trying to get in it.
1: You hear this piece of heavy furniture, right? Move away. And he opens the door. Yes? Okay, look. We we, we
2: fucked up. We fucked up. We went through your shit and we shouldn't have done it. And I'm sorry, but there's something wrong. Something is very, very, very,
1: very wrong. You have to help. You have to help right now. He nods and he sees that the door is open and he walks outside Oh, I, what, what do you need? I, I don't understand Edward, you take a step toward Clara and all of you, Jonathan included see as Clara blinks into existence one more time And as that happens, you see Jonathan throw off his robes. He's covered in these kind of orange markings and he slams a hand onto the snowy ground and it all just sort of melts around him. Not just the snow, everything melts. And this ring forms around Clara, and then she's there, nothing oozing but her eye still missing. Todd, you feel this heat come from somewhere. You don't know. You can't see. You can't speak. But then the snow is just melted all around you. But you've still got this cone of horror instead of a left arm. What did you do? I don't know. I just reached through a scroll. <laughs> Clara, you collapse.
3: I burst into action and I will catch her. As I lower her and myself to the ground, I'm gonna grab my amulet with my left hand, and I'm gonna place my right hand over her face, and I'm gonna try to channel the energy of my amulet and myself, and see if I can use my healing powers on her.
1: High or low?
3: Let's go high.
1: 58, you are able to go to a place inside of yourself that is outside of friendship, outside of love, outside of almost the human connection that you feel to other humans. You give it everything that you've got, but you are still weak. You still haven't regained full strength. And you watch as Clara's one remaining eye just sort of flits in the back of her head. And you know that you can't regrow another eye, but you can at least help with some of the damage And you're able to cover all of the, the tearing and the bleeding. And most importantly, the shearing pain. Claire, you come to... something's weird it's like your depth perception is off a little bit you can't quite see regularly like you normally do but there's Edward he has tears streaming down his face and his hair is pure white and Jonathan Crandall walks up behind him. So, you're a healer too. Well, better figure out how to get that cone off of your friend. Can you help?
3: Uh, Clara, are are you okay?
2: I'm not okay. I'm... I don't know how to be okay after what
1: I just saw. Are you okay?
3: Bellamy. I. I feel a little weak, but I think I'll be okay. Um, Bellamy, can you. can you take Clara and. just keep an eye on her? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um.
1: Jonathan helps Clara up to her feet. I will
2: rush over and basically just get her arm around my shoulder and just walk her slowly and gently into the house uh, to find a place to sit, I guess. I'm going to be clinging tightly to you and just like, don't leave me, don't leave me. Just don't, don't leave me. No, I'm right here. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to
3: figure this out. I start to get up and I falter a little and then I catch myself. I definitely feel weak and it's probably visibly so with my hair turning white. And then I look at Jonathan and I'm like, okay, what do you need me to do?
1: Well, what? Uh, which spell? Spell. Where was it?
3: Oh, uh, it. Uh, they were looking at a scroll. It, it was in your locked desk, um, in the study. There was a wax seal on it and.
1: Oh, a sanctuary spell. Yes, yes, a sanctuary spell. Well,. When properly cast, it allows you to be safe from all harm. But, of course, improperly used, it's, uh... Well... I've never improperly used it, but I imagine it's terrible. Do do you not know how to use magic?
3: Uh, uh, Look, uh, I, I found this... I was given this amulet, and I... I don't know. He takes
1: the amulet in his hand. This amulet? I know this amulet. I can help you. Okay. Well, your friend's going to be in a terrible mess for probably the next 30 minutes. Um... There's nothing medicine can't fix, I'm sure. But if you go into my study, there's a large redwood cabinet. Open that and bring me my bag. I do so. As you bring him his bag, he opens it up and there are several little pills and vials in there. And he starts shaking out some different pills and powders and he makes this kind of a compound and then he takes a spoon and just pries open Todd's mouth but Todd is really incapable of swallowing and chewing on his own and so he sprinkles it in and then he spits into Todd's mouth to sort of get it to go down and then he st- rubs it into his tongue. That's it. That's it, young man. Just it <coughs> tastes terrible, but you'll go to sleep now. And Todd falls asleep. I mean, fast. Let's carry him. Uh, well, not inside, but I have a beautiful patio. Let's take him to the patio. And nothing's real. It's all pretend. He lifts up Todd's shoulders and sort of nods, nudges you to pick up his feet. And you both carry him through the house. Bellamy and Clara, as Todd's body goes through the house, you feel and you hear that creaking sensation and Edward you are just sort of reeling back as though you're being chased by something something you can't see and you hear that same creaking as the house starts to collapse in on itself and you all feel that sense of terror but as Todd moves away from you you don't feel that you place him on the back patio and Jonathan pulls out these cushions and pillows and he starts stacking them around Todd. It'll be warm out here now. Yes, yes, I feel very confident in this, in this plan of action. Let's go inside. It's too scary out here.
3: Jonathan, what <laughs> was that thing on his arm?
1: Jonathan takes you into his study. You should all know that you shouldn't play with magic. Magic is for skilled individuals. It, it, it takes decades of work and time to, to hone one's magical abilities. You can't just read books and cast. You can't just open scrolls and... Why well, don't you even know what you did to make that happen? I should hope that you're all more careful with magic. And that you don't use it inappropriately. Ever Again this scroll i i I just wrote it. it i just wrote it out of a spell book it took me two weeks to make that scroll i i've had a feeling that something terrible is going to happen i'm feeling things that i haven't felt in a very long time like something something's near. Something's lurking. Like something is just outside of my vision. I felt it once before. And so I started creating these scrolls. You know, sort of a backup plan, in case I Lost my spell book. But... No. I just don't know. What exactly did you do? We must make sure this never happens again.
3: (sighs) From what I saw, he... Opened the scroll... Connected the two ends of the pages, and then... He stuck his arm through it. I mean, I don't know why but Tato has been very curious like that ah
1: yes well when magic is bound in a scroll it's as compressed as it can be in a book it lies on the page like like power tucked away in bed but in a scroll a scroll it's bent and manipulated into its smallest, most compact form. You have to be careful. That's why they're always sealed. You can't just leave them lying about, rolling around, doing what you will with them. In the old days, when there were witches and wizards that roamed St. Paxton at will... There were tales of babies and toddlers who would see a scroll lying on the ground, and they would lay there, looking through it, and they would get lost, and they'd stop breathing, as though the magic just sucked the life right out of them. It was terrible.
3: It sounds horrible.
1: Well, we kept our magic and our scrolls in better places after that. <sighs> Anyways, uh... The sh- the- the sanctuary will keep you safe for about thirty minutes, and then loses its effectiveness. I would assume that if it's used improperly, that it's not sanctuary. It would have to be the exact opposite of sanctuary that you receive. And it would probably be just the same amount of time. But maybe it's half as long or twice as long. I can't know. Oh, I've never met anyone that could screw up a sanctuary spell.
3: Jonathan, before today, I had no idea magic was real and now we've seen horrific things and you speak of something lurking in your peripherals can you teach me what you did with that compound you, you said I was a healer can I do what you do
1: maybe one day it takes years years, decades, so much time, if you'll give at the time, of course.
3: Time is all I have to give. I, I feel like I've been on this island forever, and really no time at all. But if if I'm to protect my friends, and if there's something out there that's trying to kill us. I need to get stronger.
1: Then I can help you. Bellamy, you watch as these two men just talk. And then they walk outside of the study and into the kitchen where you hear that the conversation continue and you're just holding Clara. You smelled something kind of weird on her.
2: When you say I smell something weird on her, is it like an open wound smell? Or is it like dirty, like from being outside in the snow and the mud and the muck? Or is it weird, something I haven't really smelled before? Just different?
1: If you had to put your finger on it, the The best way that you could identify it would be festering and sweet.
2: I'd like to pull her away from me and like and like kind of push her back into the couch. I'm gonna go get you some water. I'm gonna be right Don't back. Leave me alone. so... I don't even know how to describe it. I'm gonna be closely looking at her while she's talking to me, while she's away from me. I'm looking for signs of infection, like where her eye is not anymore. Um, or like, I guess that's all I'm looking for, because festering makes me think there's a wound somewhere that maybe was missed um, or is still like an issue.
1: Yeah, no, you don't see anything like that. As
2: I'm looking at her and I don't see anything to me that makes sense that it would be an open wound or anything, I just... Okay, yeah, you're right. No, uh, let's just... I'll just stay here. And I'll settle back into the couch with her. And we can just, like, not talk, quietly talk, cry together. (laughs) Whatever, like it's just, I'm not gonna worry about it right now. Maybe it's just a lingering smell from what just happened to her. So focus on her recovery.
1: Edward, in the kitchen, Jonathan pulls out an old looking cookbook that has this gingham cover on it. And he starts sorting through what looks like recipes. And he pulls out three or four of them, and he says, "Over the next month, you'll you'll take these and you'll do things with them and you'll try them, but don't taste them."
3: Uh, okay. How do I know if I'm successful? No, you
1: br- you bring them to me and <laughs> and I'll test uh, them. <laughs> oh, got it. Yes, yes, yes. And you can come here. You can work. Um. I have all the things that you need for these things and uh oh, I've never had really had a student that I could teach teach but I'm sure I could, I'm sure I'll be a fine teacher
3: and and I, I promise to be a great student and I'll stay out of your way and you know if you need me to clean and cook and organize like I'll do whatever it takes for you to teach me what you know
1: of course well as I said it takes years of Discipline practice. I mean, this is no small undertaking. You're you're asking me for no less than six days each week. This is a full-time dedication.
3: Absolutely. I understand. And if what you said is true and there is something out there, you're going to need help. And I just want to be able to protect my friends.
1: He smiles at you in a way that makes you believe that maybe he's reminiscing about something or remembering when he was young or felt that way. You know how older people can get like that? Yes, you always do.
3: Jonathan, I, I I appreciate your help. Um I'm gonna go check on Clara and make sure she's okay. Is there any um tea or anything warm that I could give her? It's she's probably freezing from being outside and a little shooken up.
1: He walks into that treasure room and he takes out the basin and the pitcher and he warms up some water and pours it into the to the pitcher take this i'll i'll bring the
3: tea is he handing me the basin and the pitcher or just the pitcher
1: basin and pitcher okay
3: so like i guess to have an understanding to use to like clean her up or something like that
1: yeah got it, mm-hmm. got it. there's some like
3: a rags towel. and yeah yeah mm-hmm I thank him and then I take the base and the pitcher and the towels into the other room and I kind of look at Bellamy and give her a knowing nod and try to parlay that, you know, I'll take over.
1: You smell that same festering sweet smell as you get closer to Clara.
3: So, uh, how are you holding up?
1: So good. But lost an eye and saw death or
2: something. I don't know. Not good. Not good in summary. Not good.
3: I start dipping the towel into the water and I wring it out thoroughly. And then I just kind of start patting her face around the eye and just making sure I'm getting anything that's there. And I'm like, so what did you see? What did you do? What happened?
2: I don't even know how to describe it. It was like...
1: like, like... As she starts trying to think about what it was, you see her body tremble and shake. And then she just sort of passes out but as she's passing out and sort of falling down her head is just banging against whatever is near whether that's a piece of furniture the wall the floor she's convulsing
3: i immediately take the towel that is wrung out and kind of rolled up shove it in her mouth and then i'll kind of grab her and put her on her side on the ground and I just try to kind of hold her and try to reduce the amount of damage she's doing to herself as she's going through these convulsions
1: about a full minute passes and then she just is there looking forward terrified Clara When you try to think about what happened, you can remember glimpses, flashes of what's happened. But when you think about it and when you dwell on it, it is too much for you to take in. And you take one hit to your stability, in addition to the two stability points that you lost during the moment where you were invisible
3: I, I'm sorry I shouldn't have asked you um, why don't you just get some rest and um, I don't want
2: to sleep I don't want to I, I, I don't want to risk dreaming or thinking about uh,
3: okay okay hey, well, how about we just sit here and I'll hold you and we don't have to talk, we don't have to sleep, we could just be.
2: That sounds good.
1: Thank you.
3: And at that point, I'll just kind of sit behind her and I'll embrace her from behind and just kind of sit there silently contemplating on what happened today. And everything that went wrong and uh, I just sit there quietly supportive
2: I'm going to leave the room there's really not anything for me to be doing in there so I'm going to leave the room head towards the patio to look at Todd from inside because he terrifies
1: me so I just want to look as you get closer to him I mean it is no joke you, the closer you get the more horrific it feels he's just sort of passed out there I mean you've seen Todd in the most drunken stages of drunkenness mm-hmm. uh, but he is out like a light
2: I feel bad that he doesn't have a blanket, but I know I can't go out there and help him. So I see Todd. I start to feel this fear. Even though it's cold out there, he needs a blanket, he's by himself, he's gonna be freaking out when he wakes up. I take another step forward, and it's too much, and I take two steps back. And I just... I'm sorry, Todd. I... I don't know what to do for you. Or Clara. Or Edward. I am going to go back to the study. Is the book still in there? It is. I am going to crack it open with the notes that we've already taken and see if I can start to understand the symbols. Can I use cryptology for that? Is that...? Sure! Why not? Yeah, so I'm going to see if I can start to decipher the code or the symbols and start to understand that language a little bit better. I have a free crit success
1: from GeeklyCon, and I'm using it right. Meow. Okay. One of the words that you kind of get is uh, yog. You're not really able to get a whole lot more out of like this particular symbol, but there's something called yog. And then several times you're able to read about spawn, and then. There's a connection to Yog, and there's a connection to the passage of time. How long do you want to spend on this? Honestly,
2: I think that I would just go until I passed out. Like, I will pass out face in the book, but I will keep at it until I can't.
1: You get to a point where there's a large drawing, kind of a really colorful drawing of a night sky. As you get more tired, your eyes begin to cross, and you know how things just get fuzzy, and you see things that aren't there. But you're just trying desperately to figure out what the photo description even means. And as you lay your head onto your wrist your head bobs and you look up and you see something different in that drawing. Not the night sky, but a face. A face with a beard. And you close your eyes again and you take a really long pause as you fall asleep and you wake yourself up and jolt And you see something else in the sky. These tentacles. And you nod off again. And then you just see a man. A very plain man. His silhouette is so familiar to you. Like maybe you've only seen the silhouette before and you're so tired. And then at the very bottom, you pull out of tiredness and you get this last burst of energy, a good 10 minutes of feeling fully awake and more awake than maybe you have felt all night. And it reads Father help me spawn of yogg And you fall asleep with your face on the book and you dream you dream that you are in a barn And you walk to where you keep the cows and you milk one of the cows and you take the milk back into the house and it's an old house you don't even have floors it's just beaten dirt and you strain the milk through this cloth and then you strain it once more and then you give a small cup to A little boy. But it's a little boy that you can't really see. You just know that he's there. It's kind of like the outline is there. And you watch as the milk just sort of disappears into thin air. And then the cup floats back up to you. And you feel around. And you tussle this invisible boy's hair. And then you feel like you have to summon your courage. And you walk to the other side of the barn. And there's a large door. And it looks like it's been clawed at. And you take a key from the loop on your belt. And your hand is shaking as you insert the key into the padlock. You unlock it. And then you take the next key to get the next padlock, and it clicks. And every time these padlocks click, you hear movement inside of the barn. And something behind you snaps. And you turn around really quickly. And for a moment, you see the invisible boy. And he's so cute and so perfect. Just a little toddler, so squeezable and huggable. And you turn around to pick him up. But there's a creature behind you. And you turn around and you look at the barn door, and the barn door gets bigger and more splintered and the sky seems to be falling in little chunks and you hear someone's voice a very familiar voice calling out to you Lavinia Lavinia and you want to yell I'm right here but you're in a dream and you can't yell and you get frustrated, and you try to yell again, but nothing comes out, or you're you're giving as much power as you possibly can, but the sound that comes out is so small and nothing. Edward, you hear Bellamy as she makes these moaning noises, And then she yells, I'm right here.
3: I look at Clara and and I say, hey, uh, I'm going to go check on Bell's. I I heard her calling out.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I'll, I'll be right back. And I kind of gently lean her up against the couch and I go check on Bellamy.
1: You look in Bellamy's direction, and you get up and you stretch. Your, your body's just a little stiff. And you notice that her face is not just lying on the book. You kind of thought that's what it would be, just looking from the back. But the book is folded over her head. And she's just sort of stuck in there. And it doesn't look like there's a head between page 50 and page 51 it looks like it's just closed and you hear her yelling i'm in here
3: so to understand correctly the two open ends of the book is wrapped around the top of her head is there a place for me to place my hands to open the book
1: yeah so you don't see your head at all it's almost as though there is no head And where there should be a head, there's just a closed book.
3: Oh, so it's like a flat, closed book.
1: Yeah, it's as if she was reading it, and then someone just closed the book right on top of her head, and her head
3: disappeared. At first, I will gently shake Bellamy, and I'm going to be like, Bellamy? Bellamy.
1: (laughs) Inside of your dream, you feel the earth moving around you and this creature being slammed up against the barn door. And you feel everything just jostle around. The stars, the moon, the trees, the house, the whole island. Edward. Nothing happens.
3: (sighs) I grab my amulet just for I guess courage and support, and I grab the back of the book with my right hand, and I open it from the left-hand side to the right, trying to reveal her head that has to be inside this book.
1: Do you lift the back cover? Do you lift the back cover plus ten percent of the pages? Fifty percent. Fifty percent. One hundred percent. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. Yes. Okay. Nothing's there. The book is just open. And Bellamy lies headless before you,
3: no blood. Is her neck connected to the book, though?
1: Yeah, her neck is just laying in there.
3: Kind of like next to the book? Like the book is like right up against it or something like that?
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. So you've opened the book about halfway through, so right where you would assume the middle of the book is. And you see that there's just Bellamy's neck and then a book. There's no blood. There's nothing. The pages are still the exact same. One of the pages even flips over from the fan overhead.
3: I... Jonathan! Jonathan, I need help! The study! Bellamy! Bellamy! Her head's gone. Oh, what have you kids gotten into? Yes.
1: Oh, my God. She fell asleep on a spell book.
3: Uh, I, yes, I guess. I, can you make her head come back?
1: Oh, well, we've got to find where it's at. And he closes the book, opens the back cover, and just sort of takes his thumb and flips through all of the pages really quickly. Bellamy. You feel this story sort of happen in rapid motion where you fall in love with Jonathan Crandall, Dr. Jonathan Crandall, and he's the most wonderful person you've ever met in your life. He's so kind and he's so funny and he wants to be with you and then The next thing you know, you're kissing and hugging and eventually one day you sneak away and you get married in secret and you consummate this marriage, but then your father locks you away and then something happens. You you find yourself in this cave all alone. And your father is outside and he's performing a ritual and he won't let you out. There's a large stone in front of the cave and you can only see this tiny, tiny little hole at the back and you can hear the ocean as it starts lapping against the back of the cave and water begins to fill your space and you start pushing the sand towards the back to try and cover up this hole. But then, all of a sudden, you're just floating in this tomb of water, and you feel something slide in with you. And your memory goes totally blank after that. And then the water rushes down. And your father takes you out. This all happens so quickly. And he says, Did the great old one come to you? But you don't know, so you lie and you say, Yes, of course. Of course the great old one came to me. I've always wanted the Great Old One to come to me, and of course he would come to me. But you know that that's not really true. Over the course of several days, you remember something happening. You fight and you struggle. Nothing happens. And then you begin to wonder, why did your father put you in there? What were you supposed to have done? And you keep sneaking away to see your secret husband, Jonathan. Eventually, you become pregnant with Jonathan's baby. But you also continue to perform the rituals with your father. He never locks you up in in the cave anymore. But you continue to do the blood rites, and you continue your secret worship of the Great Old One, of Yaxotha. Knowing that one day, your father may be the keeper of time, and you, you may be the mistress of time for all of time, the only true currency, time, and you'll have all the time in the world to be with Jonathan and your new baby. Then something goes wrong. When you have this child, when you're birthing the child, everything seems so much harder than you've seen other women go through. And as Jonathan delivers your baby, he places it on your chest and it's invisible. But then you feel this other sensation as though something else is pulling itself out of you and you feel tentacles as they wrap around your legs and your knees and whatever it is pulls itself out of you and you hear it fall on the floor and you watch as Jonathan's face contorts in absolute horror And he rushes back against the wall, and you hear the skittering under the bed. And there you are Jonathan cowering in fear in the corner, an invisible baby at your breast, and a skittering monster under the bed. And you feel lightheaded and woozy. it says from under the bed and then he watches this skittering thing crawls over to Jonathan and attaches himself to his face and then it goes blank just like it did in the cave as though the pages are somehow blacked out for you You don't know what's going on. The diary isn't complete. You're at a loss here, and you want to understand. The last thing you remember is walking to the barn, holding the hand of the invisible boy and carrying a large bucket of meat You open the door and you see a small man not a boy, a man with this hole in the center of his stomach has teeth and tongues tentacles coming from the center its feet like that of some reptilian beast. And you throw the bucket at it in fear. It snarls at you, but it takes the meat and begins crunching it bones and gristle and all. And you close the door to hide the monster. Your monstrous son. And you make a deal with the blood witches. They'll find out what went wrong, what happened. Why are both of your spawn so completely different from every other baby? And they perform their rituals around you. And then Agnes says to you, Did you make a sacrifice? During the pregnancy, did you make a sacrifice? And you just nod your head. There's your problem. You can't make a sacrifice when you're carrying a life. The Great Old One will take over. The Great Old One... ...will have its prize. And, Bellamy, you feel these hot tears running down your face, and you're so unsure whether they're your tears or Lavinia's tears. And then you hear this. As Jonathan Crandall finds page 27 of the book and lifts your head out of it. And that's where we're going to call it.
2: Oh my god.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: Holy shit.
3: I want to J- do it again. Yeah, t- yeah, t- 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 right yeah, let's do that.
2: Right yeah, let's now. I'm <laughs> stream fucking ready.
3: <laughs> this last episode, last two episodes a round of applause yeah. like i want to do a standing ovation right now my child is downstairs sleeping and i don't want to make too much noise but like, holy Club. fucking shit like i have goosebumps <laughs> right now like i want to ask so many questions i have so many so many questions
1: well i have one question oh <sighs> Did you all have a good time?
0: Yeah, oh, oh,
3: absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. afraid for all oh, our yeah. lives, but oh, this yeah, was yeah.
0: amazing. Oh, 100%. I feel like I'll be alright. Oh my
1: god! <laughs> alright, Mike. Holy
2: little horror appendage!
1: Horror appendage. Ah, oh, well, oh, we're gonna go take a knee, and uh, if you want to hear our conversations about this episode, some of the behind the scenes, the <laughs> what the fucks, the who done it, why they do it. Support us on Patreon. <laughs> Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.
2: This episode was edited by Rob Anderson, the musician who made the Lounge, our opening and closing theme. Find him on Twitter at potentially Rob. This episode was produced by Hiroshi, and you can find him at maybe Hiroshi. You can find the rest of the crew on Twitter as well. V is at typical Veronica. Mike is at One Gaming Lane. Fred is at I Think I'm Fred. Steph is at Starlit Firefly. And you can find me at Definitely Stacy. As always, you can follow the show at CAF Podcast and find a permanent link to the Discord in our bio. Want to take a look at the clues, information, or photos the cast stumbled upon during recording? Head on over to our website at www.cafpodcast.com and click on the link labeled The Show at the top of the screen. If you want to help support the show, please share us with your friends on your preferred social media and leave us a 5-star review on iTunes. You can also back us on Patreon by going to www.patreon.com/cafpodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you should check out some of the other geekling shows such as Random Encounters, Sayer, or You're a Wizard, Harry.
0: Well, that was certainly an episode, and hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did bringing it all together. To say CAF is a labor of love from all involved is... well, an understatement. We put a lot of time and effort into making the show what it is, and we appreciate everyone who has listened, shared, and commented on our passion project. And special thanks are due to the incredible people who have supported us on Patreon, like Glenn Stasis. The support from Patreon helps us out in so many ways and helps us focus on making great content for you. So, thank you. And we look forward to bringing you more and more episodes and hopefully a little bit of terror along the way.